All right, I assume I'm live. Uh, just to tell John, if you're talking, that the speakers don't work, so we're a bit confused as to how to fix that. But either way, um, I'm, I'm letting the movie magic out there. I'm joined by Bo and Charlie Downs. Hey. <laughs> there, there's some speakers under the desk where John can shout at us and tell us how much we're messing up, such as now. But anyway, so today we're going to be talking about Dutch having a plan, uh, was the emperor trans, and what do the immigration data say? Which, yeah. I did a show, I think it was yesterday with Harry, where we were talking about a bunch of Israeli parliamentarians are like, hey, we should move these people who are a national security threat to us to England. You should have them. And I just sat there really angry. And I watched the segment back last night and my face, I was very, very angry. Mm. I feel like it's going to be the same thing. Probably, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, Morgoth's law, isn't it? Whatever that's happens, law. it will always result in more third world migration to Europe. <laughs> it's the opposite of the nothing happens show. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that. Yeah, when Jordan and Egypt don't want a piece of it, you know yeah. it's bad news. Yeah. <laughs> I do love the idea if we're just back in the day when maybe all these people from the Islamic State, they need to go somewhere, Jordan. <laughs> but we uh, have some announcements to make, which is first and foremost, Lads Hour. This is um, after this. So I think it's on 3.30 UK time. Oh, it's written right there. It's 3 p.m. UK time, in which we're going to be discussing the zombie apocalypse and your plans for the zombie apocalypse. Um, for people who haven't heard before, I think Carl correctly put it, which is Lads Hour is the view, but for men. So come and join the male version of the view. So actually entertaining. Yeah, not yeah. just a bunch of squawking bitches. But <laughs> there's also the Gold Tier Zoom call. This is tomorrow at 3 p.m. as well. So if you're a Gold Tier member, do come and join. And if you uh, want to join, you have to buy a Gold Tier membership. So that's the deal in which we just chat, which we just chat with anyone who's Gold Tier. We, we go one by one, see what we can do. And then the last thing to mention being that it's the last day of the 33% off for your first three months when you use code BIRTHDAY to sign up at loadingtoseeders.com. So uh, if you want to do it, do it now. Otherwise, it's gone. Uh, there is also a discount for the merch store, which was 12.5%, I believe, with the same code. Uh, they're having a bit of a, a, a kerfuffle with the UK store. For some reason, they decided they would go down for maintenance today, which is a bit annoying. So I've been told that that's being extended to an extra 24 hours. Uh, the, the code there for the merch, not for the signing up at com because um, of the kerfuffle. But uh, if you're not from the UK and you're trying to access the merch store, it should be fine. If it's not, eh, I can't do anything about it. So there we are. Let's get into the news, shall we? So, Dutch has got a plan, boys. We've got one more goddamn plan. And you can see here an artist's interpretation of the Dutch having their plan. They're thinking super, super hard. Um, do you want to know what the plan is? Yes, please. Uh, we deport people who hate us. Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Controversial. I, I hear that's racist. Who cares? Because <laughs> <laughs> what does that word even mean anymore? I mean, we're talking here, for people who don't know, this lady here, Syrah Rao, saying F America, F Israel, the end. She's kind of irrelevant, her tweet. But you may remember her because she once debated Carl about racism. And Carl Borg, oh, yeah. he brought up the concept of like, oh, what if you were racist against white people or sexist against men? And she literally blue screened. Yeah. Like, din, 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 din. She just like looked up and then just went, no, this doesn't exist. And then left the debate. Is I remember seeing that all those years ago. Is that a rage quit? Would you call that? I think it's a blue screen more than rage quit. Oh. She, she couldn't comprehend the concept and then rage quit. Right. Like, I can't talk to you. This is oh, her mind actually just flatlines. Yeah, uh, right. You see that quite a lot, actually, especially like in street interviews when someone's going up to woke types talking about these things, and they just they like if they're asked one of those sorts of questions, they just stop and then they just walk away. Yeah, literally like NPC, like they've reached the <laughs> the end of their code. 
yeah, is calling men uh, well rats who need to be exterminated yeah. sexist against men, and they're just like, I don't understand. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> this is the most ba- I've literally given you the easiest question on earth, but whatever. Mm. But here's the plan. Um, I, I look forward to attempting the plan, and uh, the reason I bring it all up is because, as everyone has seen on their timelines, Dutch, the Netherlands, Holland, whatever the hell you want to call those stupid half German, half English swamp Germans, they've decided to have an election. What? <laughs> a little rude. I like the Dutch. Yeah, the Dutch are people. Yeah. Oh, who doesn't? But they yeah. are swamp Germans. <laughs> that's, their, that's their cutie nickname. Okay. <laughs> you mean that as a, as a term of endearment? Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. You know, like the sausage munching krauts or the, the frog eating frogs. So, you know, that's, that's, that's how the British show affection. At least some of us. So they've had an election, as you can see. There's, most of it's been counted. It's amazing, isn't it? You can count a million odd votes or however many there are. In one night, like Arizona, like a month. But whatever, no, 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 no. We're just, we're just talking about the Netherlands today. So the Netherlands have had their election, and as you can see, right at the top, the PVV, Gert Wilders. And Gert is a hell of a comrade. He is someone who has been fighting for, what, 20-something years now? He's been around for a long time, yeah, yeah, yeah. In his own party, which has been explicitly um, them uh, talking about the foreigners, they're very different, maybe less of them. Mm. That's basically the policy point. It's been almost entirely focused on Islamic immigration. I mean, the man even called for the banning of the Quran at one point, which I don't know if he still stands by. Don't pay attention to Dutch politics if I can help it. But I do know he made a film or produced a film a few years and years ago now, like an anti-Islam film. Um, and yeah, part of his policy was to ban the Quran and close all Islamic schools. But apparently just in the run-up to this election, he sort of eased back on that a bit. Well, I, apparently that really helped me in the polls, though. I'm not surprised. Like that made the difference. But yeah, he's uh, he's he's won. I mean, we can see. Um, I suppose I'll go to the next one for the map. I mean, that's a pretty good victory map. Yeah. To keep in mind as well, of course, the Netherlands has what I think it's proportional representation. Some mm. tiny threshold. It's like point six seven, I think. Some tiny. Yeah. So. He's been around for a long time. I think he first entered Parliament in like 2006. And so I remember him coming to like the free Tommy rallies to give a message. We'll get back to that because he wasn't actually allowed into the country. But I'll the story. And he's been fighting for this movement for so long. And now he is the biggest party in Dutch politics. And as you can see, they're utterly dominating the countryside. I do love any election map in the West. You can just tell where the cities are. Yeah, I've become I've become pretty open to proportional representation actually, for, because of instances like this. Definitely. You know, because actually, once you get your foot in the door, you can work within the system, like this guy has. And now, you know, we see this. It's just fairer. It's a simple. Yeah, it's just fairer. Mm. Well, genuinely, you can get a movement which is supported by some percentage of the population actually represented. Yeah. Even in a small proportion, and it's not nothing. Having one or two MPs is such a good ground to then build on your party. Mm. Whereas if you're UKIP, you can get, what was it, like 20% of the vote and get zero yeah. MPs. Yeah. I mean, this just isn't a system that, that actually mm. shows the population that they have any input. Whereas this, this is pretty cool, as you can see, which, I don't know. I don't know what's been going on in Dutch politics. Don't speak Dutch. Why would I? And so we've all kind of been weirded out in the sense of that farmer's party blew up a while back, probably about anything anyone remembers. Mm against the, the attempt to try and destroy all of Dutch farming, which was good. Mm. Everyone's proud of them. And now they've done this, which is mass voting for the Gert Wilders, which is great news. Because, mm. I mean, the man is on our side on the position of, hey, maybe we should have a Netherlands that is Dutch and exists yeah. for a lot longer. It's interesting. I, I have a Dutch friend, actually, and he was telling me about, in the run-up to this election, 
the fact, I mean, he lives in the UK, but obviously he has family and friends in, in the Netherlands. And he was saying that there is genuinely like a, a grassroots uh, movement against immigration and against Islam and that sort of thing. It's, it's widespread, which is, which is, you know, the case in many places. And the EU, another one of uh, Vilders's sort of main things is that he wants mm. to leave the EU and, um, and the euro and everything, I believe. Mm. He's, uh, he's basically Eurosceptic right wing, usually described as a populist, but just yeah. popular. So, yeah. kind of a pointless statement. I've never understood why or how populism or to be a populist is derogatory in any way. Mm. It doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. That's the classic leftist inversion of what's real or true or right. Because the right so, thing to do is be an elitist. Yeah. <laughs> but right. only for our elite. Yeah, like to use it as a pejorative that you're, an, you're a populist. Mm. There's no, that's, what's wrong with that? What are you talking about? But getting to the opinion polls, because this is what I found super interesting. And again, not, not, not in my sphere. We're talking about foreign elections. You know, I know some, but not this one. And you can see here, you've got the, the PVV jotting around, being pretty good. But then at the last minute, after surge from about October-ish, or maybe even June, July, there's this, this massive surge for them, which then makes them, as polling here, the second biggest party. And now they're the biggest party in terms of seats, mm. which, um, well, that's interesting. I don't know if you boys have noticed something, but there was this like date in October in which all of a sudden, the day before, if you talked about deporting people, you were put on a list. And the day after, it was like mainstream conversation yeah. about mass deportations of people who hate the West. And Overton window miraculously shifted suddenly I, for no reason. Something happened. <laughs> something happened. Uh, and something. the Overton window finally moved. And you can see here the Netherlands had the exact same something happening as, as we had, which is um, for some reason a large percentage of the Dutch population felt very strongly for the Palestinian cause. And you can see here them occupying Amsterdam Central Station because, um, why? I mean, just more generally. I remember this um, before Andrew Tate converted. There's a good clip of him where he's in London mm. and he's walking down the street and he sees a Palestine protest. And because this is before he's converted, he's talking to the camera and says, what are any of these people doing? Yeah. If you want to support Palestine, go there. Yeah. You want to support Israel? Go there. Like, what are you doing? living in the West mm. as a Muslim, saying, I support Palestine. It's just... And now he's happy that the Trocadero has been turned into a giant mosque. So Yeah, Andrew Tate has had quite the transfer. So that's Andrew Tate for you. <laughs> but getting back to the point, I mean, it's just true. Like, what are these people doing here? It was right about that back in the day. And it goes on. Apparently, they were occupying uh, an airport as well, which I'm not really sure, again, what the point in any of this is. Well, it's a show of false, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, but... what is this person doing? From the river, from the river, to the, from the river, from the river, just written on her head <laughs> with a with a wicker hat. Well, look. And, at, look sorry, at, we're not we're not even talking about like someone from the Arab world here. We're talking about what matron yeah, who's I mean, gone mental. Yeah, look at the glassy eyed. Yeah, don't you have grandkids? Glassy eyed insanity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, this traitor boomers. This whole thing, this whole movement. Uh, in the West, the th I mean, just look at these women, the white women, at least I can understand, like you just want some attention, uh, is kind of embarrassing. But to see it happen in the same way in the Netherlands, I can't help but wonder if it's the reason, or at least one of the main reasons, why there was that sudden surge for Gert Wilders, whose explicit policy is deport foreign conflicts mm. by deporting their people, because why would we have them here? Don't like foreign conflict? Seems same to me. There have been some responses to Gert Wilders' uh, victory as well. As you can see here, I don't know how to feel about the fact that a quarter of the country just voted for a party whose leader wants less Moroccans. Well, I have a suggestion. I mean, you could feel this way. <laughs> so, yeah. Drunkar has yeah. pointed out. 
feel however you want. That's a you problem. <laughs> and um, well, yeah, that's the will of the people. What do you want? Uh, sorry, do you hate democracy? I, I, I love democracy right now. I think there was a reply on that original tweet as well, where it's like, how dare you not want loads of millions of foreigners in your country? Just it's like, like yeah, gut. top one there. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Some people don't like their country being flooded with foreigners. How could they? Yeah. It's truly unbelievable. I do like that the uh, zeitgeist on Twitter definitely has changed. Like when someone posts some crap like this now, sure, they'll get some response, but mostly you'll just get people being like base, mm. which that's yeah, cool. But, you know, Drudka here giving some ideas. This is a real photo, by the way. But that's the point. If uh, a leader of a European country comes to power whose main goal is well, my ethnic group should be represented mm. in its culture here and shouldn't be uh, extinguished. And you have a problem with that? You're free to leave. Like, I'm sorry, you don't have the right to force the supremacy of Moroccan culture on the Netherlands? Mm. What the hell's wrong with you? Like, We are actually anti-imperialist about that, and you need to go if you are going to be an imperialist about that. That's just fair. And I wanted to mention as earlier that Gert has been a good friend of the British right for quite some time, which has been interesting. You can see here, this is a video he sent to the Free Tommy rally. And the Free Tommy rally was being held because Tommy Robinson was arrested for filming outside a courthouse where he asked the uh, alleged, now convicted rapist, how do you feel about your sentence? And the police instantly arrested him, ran him through the court system. Like, I, I don't know, that meme of the girl with the seven black guys. There was just nothing proper about it. And so there was a mass movement to get him freed and a retrial occurred. And Gert wanted to come and give a speech at the rally and tell everyone you're in the right, keep fighting. And he says in here that Theresa May personally intervened to ban him from the UK. He was deported from the UK. He's not allowed in. But 700,000 people a year are. So there's that. But getting to that story as well, I just wanted to remind people just how bad this is because I, I can never get over about how just horrible the Free Tommy situation was. Sorry for bringing it back up. But this is the media spin, just uh, to remind everyone of how bad things were. Was Tommy given a dodgy lawyer? Tommy Robinson was given an experienced barrister, an independent barrister. He was given exactly the representation that anyone in that situation would be given. But hang on, his supporters say. He was arrested and sent to prison in a day. That never happens. You've got to understand that contempt happens in the middle of a criminal trial. And in order to stop it, you have to deal with it often there and then. Because the nature of contempt is that it potentially can derail the entire trial. Basically, because the risks of contempt are so serious and can threaten justice being served, the cases are dealt with as swiftly as possible. So, is Tommy Robinson innocent? No, apparently not. And that's not just the opinion of the court, that's the opinion of Tommy Robinson himself. When he was brought in front of the judge, he pleaded guilty. But the hashtag free Tommy supporters do make some valid points, according to this leading barrister. They're right. He wasn't given a fair hearing. He, it was rushed. The wrong procedure was used. Um, and his lawyer wasn't given the opportunity to properly mitigate for him, which is to properly argue against the length of the sentence that he was being given. So Tommy Robinson's supporters are right in the sense that he wasn't given a fair hearing. Where they're wrong is that this was some kind of conspiracy against him. It, re it really wasn't. It was a cock-up rather than a conspiracy. Mm -hmm. Which is why we all suddenly agreed he had to go. I mean, I'm sorry, it's the same outlet, the same individual. Like The media are just utter scumbags, but all on the point. And it's the same situation in the Netherlands. It seems to be the same in every country on Earth that they're like this. Mm. And so there are a couple more responses I wanted to feature. Sadiq Khan 
Tommy can always flee to Tel Aviv if he needs to. Well, one of those days he may. But you can see here, Sadiq Khan decided to respond to Gert being elected by saying, a reminder to progressives everywhere, the continued threat of the far right is real and on our doorstep. Why? Thanks, Mayor of London. Why? <laughs> Why is the threat real? Why is the far right on your doorstep? Why are they gaining ground in every country on earth, as you put it, such as Gert Wilders here? Well, it's because the progressives have fucked up every European country they get in charge of, even slightly. I mean, with Sadiq here, I mean, we're talking about the massive surge there because of the, well, massive threat of uh, people who support Hamas in the Netherlands. And then, I'm sorry, you're the mayor of London. I can't get over this. But that's the thing. I mean, you know, far right is obviously just a slur and an attack that's used to discredit it means, people. It means pro-European state. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this Gert Wilders, he's not actually far right by any definition because one of the interesting things and one of the things that I'm not so sure about with him is that his anti-Islam position comes basically on liberal grounds from what I can understand in that he says about, you know, look at how they treat their women and their gays and all the rest of it, instead of the position that I and perhaps you guys would take, which is, it's just a foreign religion that doesn't have any place in Europe, really. I mean, he mostly does it on factual grounds. Mm. Yeah, I've seen him talk about that still integration is desirable. And mm. stuff like that, yeah. I mean, his crime, quote-unquote, along with Tommy's, is noticing that there's some problematic verses in the Quran. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? That's, that's the crime, ultimately. Mm is that you're noticed and prepared to say it. Say it. Mm. And they're problematic verses for even liberal ideology, which is hilarious. That's the big crime, as you put it. But one other thing happened about the same time this election took place, which is the Dutch police decided to release crime statistics by country of origin of data accumulated over 10 years at over 2 million data points. So we've seen some of this released in the past with uh, the... Uh, yeah, not that damn Dutch, the other ones that begin with D. The Danes, mm. they released some data a while back. They were like, hang on a minute. Seems that all of our criminals are Somalis or Afghans. And then just released it. And everyone was like, Jesus, Jesus, this is really racist. I was like, what? No, it's crime day, are you fucking morons? Like some of your ethnic groups are more uh, prevalent in crime than others. But the Dutch, I think, probably have the best data analysis of all time we could ever ask for here. And you can see the map. For people listening, uh, there's a bunch of countries uh, broadly could be described as NATO and China. <laughs> For some reason, those ones are lower expected crime rates than, I don't know, what else? Algeria, Iraq. Yeah, that middle part of the world that, that no, Congo, one, no one goes on holiday to for some reason. <laughs> Algeria. That's, that's all the red part. And this uh, is a thread of the data points and the most interesting aspects. Although we just go through it because it's, it's good to know if nothing else. So point number one. Individuals from non-Western immigration backgrounds make up 14% of the population in the Netherlands. However, they account for a large proportion of sexual offences, 35%, assaults, 40%, drug offences, 40%, and violent thefts being around 60%. Despite being 14% of the Dutch population, 61% of violent thefts are caused by non-Western people of an immigration background. Amazing. Amazing how uh, mathematics are like... Uh, a universal truth. And it goes on. You can see here, this map here is showing you the rate of crime. So given in aspects of the proportion of people from a certain country, uh, what's their chances of being more likely to be a criminal? And as you can see, it goes as higher as more than 3.5 times likely to be a criminal to a Dutch uh, national for, what, Morocco, Algeria, Angola, Congo, Somalia, Iraq, you know, all the good countries. The ones you would want more immigrants from, I'm sure. 
And it goes on. I mean, I love here point number three. The suspect rates for populations from the Maghreb region are even five times higher than those of the Dutch of no migratory background. Five times. This is mad. I mean, we usually talk about the problems we have with like the Pakistani community being overrepresented in crime statistics or the Afghans. Maghrebi apparently is is dominating the scene. Yeah, that's North North Africa, North West Africa. Yeah. Algeria, Morocco. And then behind them is the rest of Africa. Before we even get to uh, Afghanistan. But there's there's one in here that's incredibly funny. I can't remember which point it is exactly. But there's one where someone points out, I think it's this guy, of the different groups that are expected to be those who commit crime and then end up in the prison population. And the Dutch aren't even in the top 20. <laughs> That's not in this thread. It must be in another thread somewhere. My apologies for not having it. But literally, they list like the Moroccans. And the first Europeans you even find are the Bulgarians at number 20. Jesus. And that's the top 20. Your own population isn't even in the top 20 of, well, criminals. It's just mad. Yeah, I mean, for Northwest Europe, but uh, I mean, particularly Dutch. I said at the beginning, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the Dutch. They're very mm. civilized people. Yeah, very, very polite, very civilized mm. people. That's why know? we're able to have banter. It's like, like the Welsh or something. It's yeah. Like, oh, like Britain, probably. Scandinavia, Germany. Yeah. All that. Of course, they're not destroying the very fabric of their own country. Of course. <laughs> it might be someone else. And, and this is the problem. And this is why you end up, of course, having Gert Wilders getting in the polls as he did, which is not only have we got the uh, problems we run across with like grooming gangs or whatnot, just petty issues. Mm. The, the level of crime massively spikes as you import loads of people from foreign countries. Uh, why is that? Well, you go to those countries and ask them about the ones they've sent. And they're like, yeah, we, we sent you the criminals. Why wouldn't we? It was like after Islamic State fell, and then suddenly there were lots of refugees from Iraq and Syria. Mm. Yeah, where? In Iraq and Syria. Supporters of Assad? No. Were there supporters of the Iraqi government? No. Loads of people from ISIS who supported ISIS, mm. who suddenly needed somewhere else to live, because if they stayed in Iraq or Syria, would have rightfully got the death penalty for, well, crimes against humanity. And instead, they just come to Europe, and we're just like, oh, suddenly, you know, Alakazam, he's now a refugee. Some care for Calais yeah. woman just insisting you're a Nazi if you've got any problem with it. Yeah. Right. And, well, this is not only good news for the Netherlands, of course. Um, oh, there we are. I do have the data. So this is the, the rankings. So top 20 origins by suspect rate for crime and offense. And this is for the Netherlands, uh, Angola, Somalia, uh, Morocco there at number five. Is the UK on here? No, we're not. Bulgaria is just at number 20, the only European country in the top 20. Uh, nil poids for the uh, Dutch. I don't, it doesn't even need to be said, especially on this podcast. But like, I, I, do, I wake up some mornings and I think like, it is absolutely bonkers that Europe finds itself in a situation where it's got just enormous numbers of people from, you know, who have no reason to be here. And, and you know, I think that when this period of history is recorded and taught 200, 300, 400 years down the line, I hope at least it's going to be sort of like, yeah, Europe kind of lost its mind for a few decades and just started importing millions and millions of people who ended up committing loads of crimes and, you know, causing havoc. And then anybody who complained about that fact was just called racist and was attacked and uh, defamed and lost their jobs and lost their, you know, and all the rest of it. Like, it is, it's an insane situation that we're in right now. I think you're right. I've actually thought of that exact thing, mm -hmm. that how will this period be looked at in decades or even centuries from now? Yeah. And I think it will be looked back upon as a type of crazed yeah. abomination of a thing. Mm. Yeah. I think it can only be understood as being like, this is the post-World War II 
period that we're living through. And it's part of that kind of mental damage that that whole sort of series, you know, that event took had all to, the wrong lessons. Yeah, basically. Misunderstood everything you could possibly learn from World War II yeah. and took out the message of import everyone. Yeah, but Europe hasn't, you know, we're still recovering from World War II, even though it's not, I don't know, I mean, even though it's not at the forefront of people's minds, I think psychologically Europe is still recovering. And this is a symptom of that. I remember, of course, it has uh, been um, dictated to us from up on high. Mm. For decades, most of the normal people have said we don't want mass immigration, yeah. and yet it's still happening against well, our will. Where else would the Angolans go? <laughs> I mean, Angola is what? Well, I don't know, 300 times bigger than the Netherlands? I don't bloody know. But it's massive. Uh, we've got the Congo here. There's no other place in between the Congo and Netherlands <laughs> where these people could have stopped and settled and started a family mm. and, and built a business. No, instead they... I guess not. No, no, they just had to come to the Netherlands. Why? Well, I don't know. Maybe they were playing the law. And it's not just the Netherlands. Um, we can see here, these are the German elections, which is the ones that I'm actually really excited about because the sad news about this is the predictions are that Gert Wilders is not going to become prime minister because he won't be allowed to build a coalition because being 25% of the vote is not a majority. Dutch politics is always coalitions for some combination. But you need 75 out of 150 seats and he's got, I think, 37. So we need to build a coalition and all the other parties have said no deal. So... I mean, it would be quite funny if he turned around and said, I'm willing to negotiate literally every policy point except immigration, and they all still say no. Mm. So we're just utterly exposed, but that's for him to do. But the important thing for me, I think, is Germany, because the EU really is Germany by other means. And seeing Germany flip on this would be, I mean, Lord, I've seen what you've done for other nations. Can you please do it for our friends and us? Mm. And you can see here the AFD now polling there about well, like 20-something percent second biggest party, and they've been there for a little while. And as you can see, there's also a small boost for some reason. Maybe some people have started to wake up, and I hope more do, about the effects of, well, what the uh, Christian Democrats have, have done to Germany. But otherwise, good news all around, I think, which is um, good luck to the Netherlands, and, and we hope you more uh, victories in future. I'll just end this off with promoting something, which is if you want to go and check out the merch store, there is a merch store, go and check it out. And of course, it, it works now, apparently for UK viewers as well. And there is a last day discount code. So if you're watching this on YouTube, it is the very last day. You can get a 33% discount off the first three months of lotuses.com. So go do that if you like. Otherwise, good luck in the Netherlands. Opposed with that, we will move on to um, something more historical. I think the mouse. Yes. There we go. Oh, shizer. gone wrong. All right. Um, so it's been in the news cycle the last couple of days or so. Um, bit of revisionist history so that's sort of love my, that favorite of, thing sort of my wheelhouse isn't it as the resident history nerd um that uh, one of the roman emperors from the early third century the early 200s ad elabagalus um is actually a trans woman turns out um now yeah. i thought about this a bit and um in the how terms, long how many seconds did you think about this well because the history you can't always necessarily trust all the sources but anyway in their terms he probably was if not a transgender at least a transvestite was certainly a transvestite all right um i was but, just assuming because it's the bbc it's not true well my take on this of course they've walked it out of all, all recognition um but my take on this is uh, it's not really the win i think the progressives think it might be uh because despite how they framed it that it's just some poor put upon Trans emperor. In fact, in fact, Elabaglus is one of the most degenerate, perverted sex criminals ever to a rapist uh, ever 
to have been raised to become Roman emperor. Now, that, that is actually, I wondered whether that was going to be what this was going to be, where yeah. it just turned out he was just a complete degenerate. Um, but, but, so it's, sorry, is this, I can't remember the, I think it's the, the character from It, where they declared it a queer um, mask. Oh, the, the Pennywise. Yeah, they declared yeah. him like a queer icon, and then they started declaring like Voldemort a queer <laughs> icon. Mm. And it was just like, why are you picking all the villains? Mm. Have we have literally arrived at that again. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. You don't want Elabagalus in your, your in your camp on your side of the aisle. It's a, a pure embarrassment. I do. <sighs> okay, so for Roman emperors, there's some bad ones, right? He's so bad. He's not quite as murderous as Caligula or Tiberius or something. But um, his his degeneracy and perversions are so over the top that it's comical. It's <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're a history nerd enough to know all the Roman emperors up to sort of Attila and up to the the fall of the Western Roman Empire up to you know Romulus Augustus or something, Elagabalus stands out, absolutely stands out as one of the most insane. Um, so whenever I saw when I saw that this was in the news cycle. I'm like, really? You're claiming him? I mean, you're welcome to him. Yeah, please do. Okay, if you want, if you want to start labelling him as a he/her, she uh, as a she/her thing, then okay. What are the crimes? Because I'm not well, a history nerd enough to know. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, well, just to say then. So there's, it's in the mainstream news. It's uh, there's a BBC link there, and then um, it's also been in the Telegraph and uh, Time magazine. Uh, did a bit, and it's sort of all over Twitter, blowing up a little bit. Um, so, in on the BBC, they quoted uh, a, a Dr. Shushma Malik of Cambridge University, yeah. a classics professor. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> who told the BBC, "Quote: The historians we use to try and understand the life of Elagabalus." Are extremely hostile towards him. Which doesn't really go into exactly why they are, but they're extremely hostile <laughs> towards him because they're big meanies. That's why. Yeah, it's just that. Yeah, it's just they, they just they're just transphobes. There's no, yeah. nothing else to it. That, yeah, um, and therefore uh, cannot be taken at face value. I mean, okay, so as a historian, there's some. I'll get into that at the end. There's some. That's okay to say something like that, but uh, she's just lying by omission here, sort of crazily. She goes on. Um, we don't have any direct evidence from Elagabalus himself of his own words. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, there are many examples in Roman literature of times where effeminate language and words were used as a way of criticising or weakening a political figure, i.e. they're just slurring him as calling him effeminate mm. in some way. Um, references to Elagabalus wearing makeup, wigs, and removing body hair may have been written in order to undermine the unpopular emperor. Uh, yeah, maybe, but he was unpopular for more than just putting on a wig. Yeah. Um, okay, so obviously they're sort of lying by omission, not really telling you why he ended up being um, murdered by his own people and lynched and dragged through the streets and thrown in the Tiber. And that's the thing that Romans always did to, to the very worst of their rulers, is you ended up thrown in the Tiber mm. from the Gracchi onwards. It's a good, good old-fashioned Roman tradition, that. And it speaks volumes, doesn't it, if that's what the people do to you. Um, it's, it's, they're not just a bit annoyed that you wore a wig or some eye makeup. It's more than that. It's that you're an enemy, you're their enemy. So, I've, I've done the reading for a lot of people out there. Uh, the main sources are Cassius Dio, Herodian, uh, the Augustan history, which is got to be a little bit careful with that, Historia Augusta. Um, so I've got a few quotes here. 
mainly from Cassius Dio. And Cassius Dio was a Roman historian who lived at the time. So you can't really question him too much. Mm. You might say, or you can say, he might have a political bias and all sorts of things, an axe to grind of his own, da da da. You could say that. But still, he's a primary source. So it's difficult to, you can't really completely dis- disregard what he says. Uh, I've also got a few quotes from Edward Gibbon, one of the greatest historians of all time. He wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, mm. a seminal work on, on Rome um, and late Rome, uh, right in a couple of hundred years ago now. Uh, Gibbon said uh, of uh, Elagabalus that he never acted like a man. So let's get into the meat of this. Was he uh, a transvestite or transgender? I think it's, you can't really deny he was at least a transvestite. That's one of the things that they do, isn't they? The collapse being um, an actual hermaphrodite, mm. a transgender person who may or may not have gone through some surgery, and just a transvestite, i.e. just a man that likes to dress up as a woman. They collapse all those things, don't they? And just call it all transgender. Like Ediazard. Yeah. Ediazard, they call him transgender, or he calls himself transgender. But it's all queer, isn't it? It's all part of the same... He's dressing up as a woman. Yeah. How is that transgender? It's not really transgender, is it? Yeah. Um, But it is weirdly coincidental that he was always a guy that liked dressing up like a woman. And then as soon as it became politically popular to go undergo surgery and change your pronouns, Mm. which was never a thing, then he jumped on board with that. Mm. Isn't he running on a seat now to become a Labour MP? Yeah, Yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah. They they did. I think originally they wanted to put him in a really Muslim seat. And then they kind of backed out once someone who wasn't, you know, lukewarm IQ figured out why that might be a bad idea. But getting back to the emperor. Yeah. Um, well, so much so that um, on my channel, History Bro, years ago, one of the early videos I did was a super quick top 10 rundown of um, the 10, top 10 emperors that I found most interesting. Not well, most powerful, I think, but just had the most sort of interesting life. Um, John, I don't know if you can put up that link or. Uh, there's my channel, History Bro. Um, do subscribe. Do like and subscribe. Um, there, there's loads of content on there, especially there's like over probably 15 odd hours talking to Carl about Alexander and all sorts of things and lots of the epochs clips. Anyway, one of the early videos was uh, uh, my top 10 Roman emperors. So if you could play that, John. I put Elagabalus at number six. Okay, here's my pick for the top 10 Roman emperors. Based just on the lives that I find most interesting. All right, here we go. It's a parody of 90s Top of the Pops. Amazing intro graphics. Up six places to number 10, <laughs> set indefinite limits on the empire with Hadrian. It's a new entry at nine. He founded the Flavian dynasty, built the Colosseum and saved Rome from civil war. It's Vespasian. Father of the Tetrarchy and only man to safely retire from office. It's Diocletian, up four at number eight. Up one at seven, it's Byzantine Emperor Heraclius who emulated Alexander and smashed the Persians a new arsehole. <laughs> and this week's highest new entry at number six is Little Noni Labagulus, who turned the Imperial Palace into a brothel and promptly pimped himself out to all and sundry. Oh. Down at five, stadium massacres and a reconquest of the West with Justinian. Down to four, he murdered every single member of his own family but didn't fiddle while Rome burnt, Nero. Up one at three, unite the empire and tower over history by Constantine. And up three at two, Trajan, so militarily successful that the Senate could barely comprehend his string of victories. And still at number one for the 106,548th week in a row, it's original first citizen Augustus, with, at the age of 19, on my own initiative and at my own expense, I raised an army by means of which I restored liberty to the Republic. Well, that's my silly little list anyway. 
<laughs> there you go. Back then, that was like four years ago, I made that video. I was just sort of playing around trying to learn how to edit videos. That's and how it, I imagine your brain was, still works. <laughs> <laughs> and again, for anyone who doesn't know, that was a parody of Top of the Pops from the 90s. I didn't just make up those graphics and the song in the background and everything. Um, okay, so um, back then, anyone that knows the, at least the Western Roman Empire, Elagabalus is a standout, insane life. Right, it's just it, it, it couldn't be more crazy, really. So he became emperor at fourteen years old. He ruled for for about four years, and was eventually uh, beaten to a pulp and thrown in the Tiber when he was about eighteen years old. What? Why was he pimping himself out? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That okay? Was it just Romans being Romans? Or... Because there was no check on his power. Well, he's the no, emperor. Yeah, yeah. He could do whatever he pleased. That the darkest depths of his soul were allowed to flourish, and that's what was there. Uh, you know, this happened with someone like Caligula or Nero, um, or even one of his predecessors, Caracalla. Um, uh, so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Cassius Dio says, But this Elagabalus, who saw fit to make even the gods uh, cohabit under due form of marriage, lived most licentiously himself from the first to last. He married many women and had intercourse with even more without any legal sanction. So he just took women. Uh, it's more explicit later that he is an actual rapist. Uh, yet it was not that he had any need of them himself, women, but simply that he wanted to imitate their actions when he should lie with his lovers, male lovers, and wanted uh, to get accomplices in his wantonness by associating with them indiscriminately. He used his body both for doing and allowing many strange things. Remember, this is someone who lived through it at the time. so. Uh, which no one could endure to tell or hear of. But his most conspicuous acts, <laughs> which it would be impossible to conceal, were the following. He would go to the taverns by night wearing a wig. So he probably was some sort of transvestite, you know, mm. no doubt in that. Uh, and there ply the trade of a female huckster or, or hooker. <laughs> he frequented the notorious brothels, drove out the prostitutes, and played the prostitute himself. This is the Roman emperor. Yeah, I was okay. going to say, like, imagine the prime minister or you run into <laughs> Trump and he's wearing a wig and is like, yeah, I'll suck you off for 50 bucks. <laughs> so aren't you the president? Like, actually, is the, I'm pretty sure that is pretty much the South Park sketch of what happens to Mr. Garrison where he becomes Trump. He's <laughs> like, what are you doing? Aren't you, are you meant to be doing, like, running the country or something? And he's down at the pub in a wig. Yeah, I'm taking over this brothel and I'm going to be the only... <laughs> I'm going to act as the only prostitute now. Uh, Why not, boys? Is there the emperor's diadem around anywhere here just to make sure everyone knows I am also the leader of the, the world? How much, was he, how much was he charging, I wonder? Well, he does actually charge money and boast about how much money he gets. I'll get to that. <laughs> Finally, he set aside a room in the palace and there committed indecencies, always standing nude at the door of the room, as the harlots do, and shaking the curtain which hung from gold rings while in a soft and melting voice, he solicited the passers-by. So acting as a <laughs> prostitute in the Imperial Palace. And passers-by, what do you mean passers-by? Aren't you in the Imperial Palace? Well, it goes on to say, there were, of course, men who had been specially instructed to play their part. So, so it's a big laugh. It's yeah, just a big... Like, a giant laugh oh where God. he's a prostitute. He wanted to pretend to be a prostitute. Yep. Wow. But he's the emperor, so he's got to... It's the classic example of where... You've got no one around you saying no. Yeah, to say or, the least. Or, or, yeah, or, or, in fact, the opposite, where there's everyone egging you on, or you deliberately surround yourself with flatterers. 
that tell you, no, that's hilarious and brilliant. <laughs> Keep going. Go further, if anything. I love um, someone in the chat is like, that's the original biggest dickus, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gangus, um, bangus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Cassius Dyer goes on, for as in other matters, so in this business too, he had numerous agents who sought out those who could best uh, please him by their foulness. He what? Would what? Wait, hang on, what? Yeah, so the people he wanted to surround himself with were sort of handpicked to be degenerates. So the worse they were, the more desirable they were. Okay. Exactly that, yeah. <laughs> uh, he would collect money from his patrons and give himself airs over his gains. I gloat about how much, quote, money he'd made by being a prostitute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the queer community is like, this is our icon. <laughs> he would also dispute with his associates in this shameful occupation claiming that he had made that he had more lovers than they and took in more money. So he got some of his friends around him to do the same thing, <laughs> competing with them and gloating when he won. <sighs> this is the way now that he behaved alike towards all who had such relations with him. But he had besides one favourite, quote, husband, a guy called Heracles, Heracles, um, whom he wished to appoint Caesar for that very reason. Okay, so now that you're getting a bit more serious now. So he's playing with the very nature of the state and politics. Is that his his favourite boyfriend? He he wrote he raised to be a Caesar. What does that mean at this point? Because I'm not sure about the history. Uh, right. Okay. So, um, well, well, it just means one of the highest positions in the state. It's like an honorary position. It, yeah. It's sort of it would be above a consul even. Okay. It means you're sort of a co-emperor, some sort of co-emperor. Hmm. And in their relationship, Elagabalus is the woman. I mean, there are a couple of U.S. politicians that come to mind, though, I'll be honest. <laughs> well, Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton. I mean, what the hell else are they there? Scott Wiener? Scott Wiener? Is that his name? I don't know. Wiener. Um, I get it. Like a vibes from him. Um, Edward Gibbon said that, um, in quote, but Elagabalus, corrupted by his youth, his country, Syria, um, and his fortune, abandoned himself to the grossest pleasures with ungoverned fury and soon found disgust and satiety in the midst of his enjoyments. Hang on, so he's not even a Roman? Well, no, he's from Syria, yeah. So as emperor, we've got this foreign young boy who has decided to make himself a transvestite prostitute and has now turned the nation-state into a horocracy. Mm-hmm. But according to Dr. Yes, Malik, Queen. according to Dr. Malik, he was just an unpopular emperor. <laughs> it was just transphobia. Well, there's one thing before I go on with all the sexual degeneracy, which is it's funny to me. It's so over the top, so ridiculous that it's funny. But one of the things he did was about religion. He sort of tried to do away with all Roman religion. They're still pagans at this point, um, and in, and make everyone worship um, a, a Syrian Sinesh. god, a Syrian god called Elabagulus, because that isn't even his real name. His real name. Uh, he was born um, Sextus Varius Avitus Bassianus. And his his uh, his his Batty anus, Batty anus, Batty anus. Sorry with the children in the classroom, but that yeah. is funny. Sextus, Sextus Batty anus, Yeah, we made him emperor. He turned out to be a complete degenerate. Yeah, Sextus Batty anus. Yeah, and his 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 sort of imperial name as emperor was Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. But he decided at one point to just call himself Elagabalus, or even Helio Elagabalus which was a god that he worshipped, that he said was the one and only god that all Romans must worship now. And also, I am him. Sorry, I'm trying to say okay. the sexless batianus is very funny. So, um, yeah. so um, that, that, that religion thing 
is, um, you know, the sexual degeneracy thing mm. is, is one thing. But when you screw with the nature of the state, you're, like, you, you're humiliating everything that's secular and religious as hard as you can at all times. So he wasn't just a misunderstood transvestite who liked to sometimes put eye makeup on, right? Mm. Okay. So just, let's just try and... He was a, if you'll pardon the it. image, a full-throated degenerate. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, uh, <laughs> Dio tells us, when trying someone in court, because even a Roman emperor had to uh, basically act as a magistrate, as a judge sometimes, um, when trying someone in court, he really, he, he really had more or less the appearance of a man. But elsewhere... But everywhere else, he showed affectations in his actions and in the quality of his voice. For instance, he used to dance not only in the orchestra, but also, in a way, even while walking, performing sacrifices, receiving salutations, or delivering a speech. So, like, mincing, really. We complain in this country about having bad leaders, but like, I mean, if you if you literally saw your emperor, not your prime minister or some some fly by night politician, but the emperor, a god emperor, a type of god emperor, yeah, dancing around in in, <laughs> in makeup. Sorry, the chat is um, I got turn it off. <laughs> it's too funny. Did I like it? I hope, they, I hope it's entertaining. Yeah, probably. they're but actually how... coming up with new names for him, <laughs> such as right. I won't name them. Actually. Okay, but how humiliating! <laughs> How humiliating right. for the people. Of and Rome. deliberately oh, so. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. Mm. Didn't know what he was doing. Oh, well, perhaps he didn't. Perhaps he was clinically insane. Well. Who knows? It's impossible to make those um, sorts of judgment calls 1,800 years later. Someone has mentioned uh, David Cameron's uh, pig adventures. Oh, the pig, the pig incident. That's not as At bad At least now. that was behind closed doors. Yeah. At least well, that's that what sounds like all right now, doesn't pub. it? Yeah, wow. Well, that's just a <laughs> yeah. laugh. That's just japes. Fatty yeah. Anus or Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, to go back now to the story which I began, uh, he was bestowed in marriage and was termed wife, mistress, and queen. So he married that, that guy, uh, uh, Heraklion, uh, and uh, <laughs> he took the female role. Um, he worked with wool, very female thing to do, sometimes wore a hairnet and painted, painted his eyes, daubing them with white lead and, and green pigment. Once, indeed, he shaved his chin and held a festival to mark the event, i.e. becoming, formally becoming a man. But after that, he had the hairs plucked out so as to look more like a woman, end quote. Now, that's where a modern historian can say, oh, look, you know, he is at least a transvestite, perhaps not transgender. Mm. But you can see how the left have sort of latched onto that. They've suddenly mm. remembered the account in, in Cassius Dio that says all this. I don't you know, know how, how they've only suddenly discovered it. But. I mean, I don't know if we can get up the article, but I wonder, because they, they've probably mentioned none of that, right? They've just mentioned the line, oh, he had his uh, leg hairs plucked. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. she... she uh, That's all they've read, though? She picked... I don't, yeah, I don't know. There's no way they read that Batianus turned the imperial palace into a whorehouse and <laughs> dressed up as a woman to have sex with random people and charge them money and well, if had a competition with his mates about it, like... If she's a professor of classics, she probably has read it and is very, very deliberately omitting all of that and just pick out the bit that he wore eye makeup. Well, in that case, then they're actually read all that and gone, yes, queen, queer icon. I mean, that's, that's sincerely, that's not even a just surprise. Just believe them. You know, when they say these things, just, yeah, yeah I think they are embracing this person. Edward Gibbons says, a, a capricious prod prodigality supplied the want of taste and elegance. And whilst Elagabalus lavished away the treasures of his people in the wildest extravagance, uh, 
his own voice and that of his flatterers applauded a spirit and magnificence unknown to the tameness of his predecessors. So even people like Caligula and Nero never sort of went this far. Um, uh, to confound the order of the seasons and climates, to sport with the passions and prejudices of his subjects, just like to humiliate them on a daily basis in every way he could, and to subject every law of, of nature and decency were in the number of his most delicious amusements. A long train of concubines and a rapid succession of wives, among whom was a vestal virgin ravished by force from oh, her sacred asylum. So a rape, yeah. a full-blown mm. kidnap rapist. But not a, just a rapist, raping a vestal virgin. Yeah, vestal virgin, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you it's, want to explain that probably? Well, it, there was, yeah, there was the, the cult or religion of the vestals who were supposed to be, obviously, virgins, supposed mm. to be purer than pure. You don't touch them. You don't touch them. Like, isn't it the They're death, like, no, like the ultra nuns. If you assault them, they're just like ultra nuns. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, if they did anything, they get killed. Um, yeah, this, the, they're supposed to sort of personify the purity and sanctity of Rome itself in some way. Um, so yeah, just to abduct one and, and take her to wife against her will and rape her is sort of, you know sort of as bad as it gets. But it's not just you're a rapist. It's a high crime against Roman culture itself. Mm, mm. I mean, upon all the rest of others. Yeah. Given goes on. The master of the Roman world um, uh, affected to copy the dress and manners of the female sex, preferred the distaff to the scepter, and dishonoured the principal dignities of the empire by, uh, by distributing them among his numerous lovers, i.e. all the most important people, the senators and things. He would force them to marry the, the hand-picked degenerates he had. Wow. Again, just to endlessly humiliate them, really. Um, and one of whom uh, was publicly invested with the title and authority of the emperors. That was his quote-unquote husband. Um, yeah, and he styled himself uh, the empress's husband, the empress being Elagabalus. Um, well, one little anecdote, which I haven't got the quote here, but Elagabalus liked to cheat on his quote-unquote husband, but deliberately get caught by him and then get beaten up by him. He, he liked that. He, he, he made that happen. Wow. To be a, a sort of a, a beaten wife. You did not undersell the level of degeneracy. Yeah, I'm, I'm speechless. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Oh, so okay. So, all right. Super quick. We'll have to get to the point, I suppose, okay. of yeah. uh, I've got, being deposed. I've got loads more quotes. Uh, well, okay. I'll just read one more by Gibbon and then the, his death. Uh, Gibbon said, uh, it, because this is the bit where that historian right at the beginning could be forgiven on some small level for saying that he's been sort of hard done by in terms of how he's remembered because the emperor directly after him, um, uh, an Alexander, um, Septimius uh, Alexander, was, uh, it was in his best interests to paint his predecessor as perhaps more mad and degenerate and perverted than he really was. But nonetheless, Gibbon says this, it may seem probable the vices and follies of Elagabalus have been adorned by fancy and blackened by prejudice. Yet confining ourselves to the public scenes displayed before the Roman people and attested to by grave and contemporary historians like, like Dio, uh, their inexpressible infamy surpasses that of any other age or country. So again, if, if the progressive left want to claim Elagabalus as one of their own, they're welcome to him, mm. one of the worst of all time. Um, the license of an Eastern monarch is secluded from the eye of curiosity by the inaccessible walls of his seraglio, which is like a harem where women are kept. Um, 
Uh, the sentiments of honour and gallantry have introduced a refinement of pleasure, a regard for decency and a respect for public opinion into modern courts of Europe. But the corrupt and opulent nobles of Rome gratified every vice that could be collected from the weighty influx of nations and manners. Secure of impunity, careless of censure, they lived without restraint in the patient and humble society of their slaves and parasites. The emperor, in his turn, viewing every rank of his subjects with the same contemptuous indifference, asserted without control his sovereign privilege of lust and luxury. So a monster, basically a monster. So just be careful when you read you know, a mainstream thing in the Telegraph or BBC or Time magazine saying that, you know, the iceberg behind this man is large and horrific. And well, finally, he got his comeuppance because we're told um, he made an attempt to flee. This is after the Praetorians and the army had decided that enough was enough mm. after about four years. Um, oh, and his mother was sort of the eminence grise, the power behind the throne who put him there and tried to keep him there. Um, he made an attempt to flee and would have got away somewhere by being placed in a chest had he not been discovered and slain at the age of 18. His mother, who embraced him and clung tightly to him, perished with him. <clears throat> their heads were cut off and their bodies, after being stripped naked, were first dragged all over the city and then the mother's body was cast aside somewhere or other whilst, he, whilst his was thrown into the Tiber. So he wasn't just an, um, an unpopular emperor who was sort of slandered for being a bit queer, which is how the, that BBC article frames it. Mm. He was a monstrous degenerate, one of the worst of all time, to the point of it being, it's comical really, right? Mm. So over the top. Something the Dark Eldar would do. Mm. How often did this happen where they were, you know, dragged out, beheaded, thrown into the Tiber and all the rest of it? Uh, fairly often, through the crisis of the third century. Mm. Sometimes the Roman emperor would be proclaimed emperor by his men, and later that day killed <laughs> once or twice. It got to insane lengths at different periods. Mm. Um, but yeah, he, it's actually not a bad innings, four years. It's actually not a bad innings, to be quite honest. He sounds um, like he had his fun as well. But the Romans did, it, it wasn't rare that they, you ended up a bag of bones being flung into the Tiber. Mm. So there you go. Just wanted to put a bit of colour, a bit of flesh on the bones of the story of Elagabalus. The there. newest queer so, icon. Yeah, right. So yeah, welcome to him. <laughs> well, on that note, I suppose we shall move to uh, the immigration data and... All the joys <coughs> this is going to be. Yeah. So, uh, gents, I hope you're ready for some black pills because at 9.30 this morning, the Office for National Statistics released several data sets on population and immigration. Um, so I think you two are perhaps uh, two of the best members of the team to talk about this because I know you both feel strongly about it, have good knowledge about it. So since we're tight for time, um, we'll get right into it. So the data, as I say, was released at half nine this morning. Um, and the first one, that we've got here is on uh, population estimates for England and Wales. Um, and I thought we'd start with this one because I'd, I just want you to keep these figures in mind as we move forward into the immigration data. So the population of England and Wales at mid-year 2022 was estimated to be 60.2 million, an increase of around 578,000, brackets 1%, since mid-year 2021. In the year to mid-2022, there were 574,000 deaths in England and Wales, slightly fewer than in the previous year. Uh, the number of births in the year to mid-2022 was 620,000, which was an increase of 11,000 compared to the year to mid-2021. And I will say, this is a little bit dry, obviously, going through all these statistics, but I think it's important to understand 
you know, the, the real sort of the texture here. So uh, in the year to mid-2022, we estimate that 983,000 people immigrated to England and Wales from outside the UK, while 441,000 emigrated. This makes net international migration to England and Wales 541,000. In the year to mid-2022, there were 9,800 9, net internal moves out of England and Wales to the rest of the UK. And the population of England increased at a higher rate than the population of Wales. Um, so 60.2 million, that's the top line figure here. That's the population of England and Wales uh, in mid-2022. So keep that number in you as we move forward. So the next uh, data set that we'll look at is the uh, estimating the UK international migration from 2012 to 2021. Uh, so total long-term immigration between year-ending June 2012 and year-ending June 2021 was around 7.4 million, an emigration of 5.2 million. This means that net immigration over the decade added up to 2.2 million, added 2.2 million to the UK population. So in 10 years, 10% of the population, more than 10%, are uh, changed. Correct. Great. Great. Thanks. Approximately 232,000 less than indicated by our previously published assess- uh, estimates. So, hey, not as bad as it could be, I guess. Cashback. Yeah. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so total... These are ne- the ones they have on file. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, these are just the ones that are in the system. So, um, total net migration of EU nationals between year-ending June 2012 and uh, June 2021 was around 1.9 million, an increase of 745,000 compared with our previously published estimates. Revised total net migration of non-EU nationals is 1.1 million. Moving on, we will go to the, the, the most important one, in my opinion, the one that's getting all the headlines, and that is immigration for the year ending June 2023. So the provisional estimate of total long-term immigration for year ending June 2023 was 1.2 million, while emigration was 508,000, meaning that net migration was 672,000. That's 600, just to be clear here, that's 672,000 new people added to the population of this country. Not born here. Most people arriving to the UK in the year ending June 2023 were non-EU nationals, 968,000, followed by EU, 129,000, and British, 84,000. Net migration for year ending June 2023 was 672,000, which is slightly higher compared with year ending June 2022, which was 607,000, but down on our updated estimate for year ending December 2022, which was 745,000. While it is too early to say if this is the start of a new downward trend, these more recent estimates indicate a slowing of immigration coupled with increasing emigration. We'll get to it. We'll get through, we'll get through the data and then we will, we will talk about the implications of this. Uh, before the coronavirus pandemic, migration was relatively stable, but patterns and behaviours have been shifting considerably since then. Net migration increased sharply since 2021 because of a rise in non-EU immigration driven by a range of factors, including those arriving on humanitarian routes, including Ukrainian and British national schemes, as well as an increase in non-EU students and workers. Put a pin in that. The increase in non-EU immigration in the year ending June 2023 was mainly driven by migrants coming for work, up to 33% from 23% in year ending June 2022, largely attributed to those coming on health and care visas. In contrast, those arriving on humanitarian routes uh, decreased from 19% to 9% over the same period. The largest contributor to non-EU immigration, 39%, was study, which was largely unchanged compared with year ending June 2022. 
However, while historic evidence has shown that more than 80% of students typically left within five years, analysis of more recent cohorts is suggesting that more are staying for longer and transitioning onto work visas. There have also been changes in the number of dependents coming to the UK. In the year ending June 2019, dependents accounted for 6% of non-EU student immigration and 37% of non-EU work immigration, which increased to 25% and 48% respectively in year ending June 2023. And the final data set that we're going to look at is the reasons for international migration. So for the year ending June 2023, net migration of international students who initially arrived in the UK on a study-related visa was 263,000. This includes those who transitioned onto a different type, uh, a different visa type during their time in the UK. Using the visa at first arrival approach to estimate net international student migration is consistent with our long-term immigration estimates, um, but it doesn't account for actual student behaviors while in the UK. Um, so the newly developed cohort approach suggests that the majority of long-term international students from year ending June 2018 emigrated within five years. Nevertheless. Um, so on average, our research also, this is when I say our, it's ONS. On, on average, their research also suggests that more recent cohorts of students are staying in the UK for longer. For the academic year covering 1st of September 2021 to 31st of August 2022, 35% of students had emigrated long-term at the end of their initial study visa, compared with 61% for the 2019 to 2020 academic cohort year. So that's the data. I'll let that just sit and digest for a second, because it's a lot of figures, but it's uh, just supremely depressing. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, it's civilization ending numbers that we're talking about here. So there's always a debate about immigration, its effects. Nigel Farage will bring up, mm -hmm. uh, he just did on we'll uh, get to that. I'm a Celebrity about, yep. what is it, uh, GP waiting lists or yep. school placements or um, getting a house, God, what a luxury that would be. Mm. But the thing that, that terrifies me when I read something like that is you've got about 2% replacement rate every single year is what you're talking about there. And the average age of buying a house in this country is now above 30, 30-something. Mm. 30 so let's say you're one of those lucky bastards that works your life off and then you're about 30 right now so you can buy a house. Uh, so you do. And you're lucky enough to buy it in an area, let's just assume that's 100% English because you want to live in an English neighborhood and raise a child in an English neighborhood. So mm. you have your child immediately, and then it takes about 20-odd years until that child can finally move out, uh, at which point you decide to buy a house and have a child in an English neighborhood. And by the time that child leaves and you're 50-something looking about when to retire, you now live in an Indian neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That pisses me off. I, I can't stand the idea of the state thinking that young people in this country should make a massive investment in the decades of their lives and their financial wealth mm. into building up this country, when in return, what the state will give you through the immigration process is to utterly change whatever you invested in and too bad. Yeah. That's the thing that really, really hurts me, I'm honest. And if you complain about that, then, you know, you're some, you're, you're evil, basically. You know, you'll be villainized and demonized. And I mean, I, I tweeted the other day that in the face of this information coming out, <clears throat> I think basically every other issue in British politics that we talk about, whether it is the NHS, whether it is schools, housing, or any, anything else, it, that's all secondary to this. This is the most pressing issue of our time. It is the defining issue in Britain, is this is mass immigration. Because these figures, again, under a nominally conservative government, obviously not that anybody believes that at this stage, it, it's, it's just 
historically unprecedented. It's absolutely insane. That was the point I was going to make. We said yeah. in the first segment that um, how will history look back at these last few decades, mm. let's say since Blair, um, how, will, how will historians judge mm. the elites that did this to us? Well, it, it is a crime without precedent. Yes. It is one of the most egregious and despicable things that has ever been done yeah. to, to England or to Britain. Yeah. Um, yeah, without precedent. You're absolutely right. Mm, and all the other crises that we have, whether it be housing or the NHS mm. or schools or anything, mm. well, it all boils down to if you're just going to cram half a million, three quarters of a million people mm. year on year, year after year into the country. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're going to yeah. have the infrastructure falling apart because it simply cannot handle it. Yeah. And that should be obvious. That that should not be a surprising thing for people. Well, like, I think the people that the same people that do it want that to happen. They mm. mean the destruction mm. of our society. And that ultimately is the question. Is you know at this point, I think a lot of people, normal people in the general public, must be starting to think this is something that's being done to us yeah. intentionally. Because this is not just, you know, the, 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 the arguments are always made, oh, the, the economy and all the rest of it. Think of the GDP, line go up. And I think there is probably a large segment of the elites who still actually believe that, who still believe the sort of economic arguments for mass immigration. Mm. I think you look at this and you think there is no other way of interpreting this than this is just destruction. It's a destructive thing. Um, you know, people living, as you said, Callum, in in their neighbourhoods that they spent their whole lives in, watching them radically change over a period of, well, I mean, in this data, 2012 to 2021, just radical change, unrecognisably different. And the thing that um, is sort of impossible to ignore mm. is the evidence of your own eyes, because in every yes. town, every city and town, even quite small places, mm. um, you immediately walk outside and uh, you're confronted with just a slew of foreign people. Yes. And that was not the case a small number of years ago. Mm. A small number of years ago, it was not the case yeah. that uh, you just hear a, a plethora of foreign languages being mm. spoken um, everywhere you go, in, even down to really quite small towns. Mm. Um, and so I don't know how anyone can ignore the evidence of their own eyes and ears mm. anymore that a replacement, in inverted commas, mm. not only is happening, has happened, mm. Um, one note of hope I would like to say is that it, it can be reversed. Mm. You do need a government with uh, a set of balls mm. that are prepared to deport. Imagine that. That are actually prepared to deport hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So it can be reversed. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the scale of this crime is uh, unprecedented. Yeah, absolutely. I thought we'd have a look very quickly at a couple of the uh, reactions as well to this information coming out. Now, uh, this one I've got on here, I've not actually put on the document, so I'll just have to read from here. The headline from Andy Sylvester at City AM, immigration is rocketing, and that's brilliant news for Britain. Of course it is. Immigration, or, or rather, sorry, some good news for Britain then. Loads of people want to live here. At a time when cheer is in short supply in the news pages, today's net migration stats should come as a welcome morale boost. Of course, we don't live in that world. Immigration to Britain is, according to the public narrative, largely a very bad thing, capital VBT. Seven years after the Brexit referendum, immigration is once again in the top couple of issues for the great British voter. And those who are thinking about it are not, as a rule, hanging the open for business sign around the country. Can I just say, so this guy identifies himself as, a, as he literally calls himself a metropolitan elite member. And this kind of sneering, smarmy, looking down on 
attitude of these types, I think is just, well, again, when we're talking about how history will report mm. this period, mm. Mm. I don't think history will reflect, will, will uh, speak well of these sorts. Mm. Yeah, they'll be judged harshly, I would think. One would hope. That's a shame emotionally, and in a country that is by, by most metrics far more welcoming than any of its European neighbours, it should be seen as a competitive advantage to have hundreds of thousands of people wanting to share our national story. Is that what's happening? Do we have, are these hundreds of thousands of people, the 2.2 million additional people that have come since 2012, do they want to share our national story? Is that what's happening They're here? They're just really into spitfires yeah. and watching Only Fools and Horses. They just love shortbreads uh, and, right, yeah. and, fish and, and fish and chips, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean... No, I mean, it is, is, is a terrible thing. What are the benefits, though, supposed to be? They quite often say the food, but obviously mm. we've got recipes, so we don't need Yeah, food is fungible. We don't need them. You know, yeah. um, uh, so what, are, what, are, what would somebody like that at this point argue are the benefits? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, there's the whole uh, who's going to serve my coffee and prep line, which is, you know, comes downstream from the economic argument. But again, I'm, I'm not even convinced these people even think that. I think that, I mean, you know, let's just get real for a second here. These are people who hate their, they are oikophobes. They hate their own culture. They hate their own people for whatever reason, whether that's because of how they've been educated or who they've been surrounded by. Um, but that's, that's the impression I get of a lot of these types. It's not about love. It's not about welcoming people in. It's about crushing people, crushing the people who are here already. Callum, your face is a picture. Yeah, I'm not very happy. No. Um, anyway, I'll move on to this next article. Um, this one. Without more immigration, we will fail to build a future-focused Britain. Now, I won't, I'm, I'm not going to read through this one, but the point I'm making here is that there is still a significant contingent of the intelligentsia, of the journalistic class, who are going to bat for mass immigration in the face of the numbers that have come out today, without, a, without any consideration for the damage that it's doing. You know, it's, it's only, I mean, here, Future-focused Britain. I mean, in this article, they talk about AI. I mean, here, you've got the AI Safety Summit with Rishi Sunak here. It's all about growth, economics, and all the rest of it. Not about the culture and the fabric of the country and, and, and what's being done to it. Uh, Her name was Emily Jones. Mm, yes. His name was Sir David Amos. Yeah. Don't mention any of that. No, it's no. just build a better, more packed Britain. Mm. Madness, a real madness. Yeah. So Rishi Sunak has come out to say he's looking at further ways to curb immigration. And this is something I wanted to touch on because in the report by the ONS, they say about how there's a, a downward trend. It's looking as though immigration might be going down, as if immigration is just something that just happens. It just happens. It's like, you know, uh, it's like the changing of the seasons. It's like weather. It's just something that goes on, not something that's done, not something that's actively, you know, made happen. And so Sunak, uh, like it says here, he's uh, actively looking at measures to cut legal immigration to the UK ahead of figures this week expected to show a further increase in the numbers arriving. Now, obviously, we've just been through those figures and they are astonishing. Uh, so the government has introduced measures to prevent overseas students bringing dependents with them and was actively looking at what more can be done to reduce legal migration. The spokesman oh, sorry, said... This is just an obvious lie. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 we'll get to that. Don't we worry. have the Empty leaked WhatsApp chats. We have the people who are in government who yep. met him and have now gone out and said, yeah, I spoke to him about lowering immigration. He yeah. literally just said no. He doesn't care. He doesn't care or he actively wants it. It's one or the other. But I, I can't... I was talking to someone earlier and um, he remembered a line, which I didn't know, mm. which is that David Cameron, when he was in the coalition with Nick Clegg, at Conservative Party conference, he decided to come out and say that, well, you should have seen his face when I told Nick Clegg what I really thought of the European Union and the thing seals in the conference clap because of course they did. 
David Cameron, the man who, yeah, totally hates the EU. Trust me. It's so transparent oh. how pathetic this propaganda is. Trust me, bro. The guys who have done this are totally looking at stopping it. Yeah. You've done it on purpose. So, so you stabbed me and then went, oh, I'm sorry. I'll totally look into stabbing you less. Stab, stab, stab. Like, yeah. That's like with the reduction of immigration from six or 700,000 down to merely 500,000 or something. Yeah. It's like inflation is down from 7% to 5%. Yeah. Oh, so I'm being destroyed and ruined and at assaulted. a slightly slower rate. Sl yeah, at yeah. a slightly slower rate. Yeah. Uh, it's not Great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just thought this this end part of this article is funny. A spokesman said, obviously, we want to see legal immigration fall. Obviously. Is it not obvious? No, liar. No, you do. You want it up. You want it up. You, you fucking liars. I'm sorry, yeah. but like the individual human beings here mm. are lying to us and they know it. Mm. Obviously, there's no single measure to reduce immigration. Yes, there is. Yes, there literally is. No. No. <laughs> there are some global factors in play. The pandemic and our humanitarian schemes. And obviously, the, the number of times this guy says, obviously. Liar. Obviously, our priority still remains small boat crossings. And if it's like Suella Braverman's letter is to be believed, they don't even care about that. I mean, that's a, it's a useful misdirection, the illegal immigration issue, away from this, what we're talking about now. Mm. Um, but, you know, to say that their priority remains the small boat crossings, is not, that's not even true. And, even if, and if it was true, that would be the wrong priority to have. Mm. And obviously, we need to do that while balancing the priority of growing the economy and understanding things like the economic benefits that students can bring, for example. End of the article. It's a bit, it's a little bit bigoted of you, Cho, to have noticed all these things, really. Mm, um, so I'm told. You're yeah. sort of on um, the same moral level as a, as a, a Nazi guard. Mm, yes. Noticing, yeah, that's right. Really, yeah. Don't want to say it out loud, My but, word. you know, that is the yes. reality. Yes. So anyway, I thought we'd uh, just have a little conversation about this. Now, I mean, uh, this, this last one I put in here, I won't read from this, but it was uh, Get a Grip, Rishi. Britain is not a hotel for immigrants. It is our home from Alison Pearson at The Telegraph. And it's like, yeah, you know, there, there are as much as there are journalists who are still very pro mass immigration. There is a mainstream dialogue about, you know, what what the next steps are on the, on this issue. Um, but again, do we trust The Telegraph? Do we? I don't know. We'll see. Um, not really. No. Um, but yeah, I, I thought we'd just, just get into it. I, I had a few other points I wanted to make here because I know that time is short. Um, but one of the main problems that, I, that this data really highlighted was the in actually international students. Um, and I think that this is... It's and the so, chain migration that comes with Yes, it. yes. But it's, it's so obvious why this is the case. Because I, I, mean, I, I only graduated university in July of this year. And uh, I, at my university, you, like you say, you go out and you can hear, you hear foreign languages being spoken on campus. You know, I was in, I was in like Surrey. It was just so bizarre. But I was paying £9,250 a year on my tuition fees. Um, whereas international students have to pay, for the same degree, 23800 a year. So it's no surprise that the universities themselves want to bring in as many international students as possible because it's a it's a payday. My God, it's it's more than double. More well, than, that is the more reason. Than double. That yeah. is the reason. Good for them. What percentage am I getting? Yeah. Well, exactly. Zero. Okay. Yeah. Well, then maybe I won't vote for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happens as well? Because I happen to know people who did this. Mm. Um, when they come over, they do pay all that money. Yeah. Uh, and then they just stay. Yes. Many what such cases. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. I knew him. He literally he just sat here, illegal visa, mm. never uh, renewed it. And uh, he's still here. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Never passed his course either. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's, getting deported. there is plenty of that happening. Um, but something else that I wanted to highlight is, is the fact that in the data that uh, talked about population between 2012 and 2021, it does list a, an emigration of 5.2 million. Now, Carl has made this point before, I know. He says that there are so many leaving every year that if we were to just close the gates, as it were, 
then in a certain to a certain extent, the problem might solve itself because of the numbers leaving. Now, I'm not sure I'm totally in agreement with... One-fifth of that is British people leaving. And that was going to be what I was going to say. I don't have the demographic breakdown of that 5.2 million, but it's not going to just be foreigners, you know. Um, but my conclusion here is basically there are just simply too many people in Britain. And, um, you know, that fewer, fewer people, if there were fewer people, there's more to go around. There's more space, there's more jobs, there's more money. You know, and I think that one of God, the things imagine, that imagine if the average size of a house in the UK was the same as an American's. Yeah, I know, right? Dream, yeah. dare to believe. Yeah. One other thing to say, where you said the, the sort of the main number is sixty million total. Mm. I mean, we all know that's nonsense. No, that's way, way under. Uh, way under, because yeah. what the Office of National Statistics says mm. and what sort of Tesco says yes. are very different, and others as to well, the tune of millions yeah. of people. Different, yeah. Though. Yeah. So there's actually millions more people. Mm. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I think that a lot of people on our side of things get wrong is the kind of, you know, every family should be having five kids and the population should be growing and the replacement rate should, you know, the birth rate should be four, five, six, you know, all the rest of it. I actually don't think that's desirable either. I don't think that this is desirable, unless if that wasn't evident. But I think that a growing population, a population that is just exponentially growing with no sort of apparent endpoint, is not desirable because the country becomes, you know, it gets filled up, things are more scarce. And so actually, a lower population is desirable. I think that population levels tend to kind of reach, a, if left to their own devices, naturally reach an equilibrium where there's enough people for things to work, but there's not so many people that, well, things don't work, frankly. Um, well, I have some good news. Hmm. It's not. Hasn't been for years. Yeah, well, I know that, but uh, but and and sure, an aging population is not desirable. But if this is the alternative, then I take the aging population. I'm it's afraid. Not the alternative. Yeah. It's a fucking lie that's sold mm. to us every year. So yes. I'm very very mad about this. No, no, no. Uh, the example I just gave you. Let's say you mm. buy into an English neighbourhood, and then by the time you're looking at retirement, you mm. live in a oh I don't know Pakistani neighbourhood. Mm. Oh great, thank you. What a good deal that has been to sign yeah. up with UK Gov Incorporated yeah. there yeah. in investing your time and money into building a neighborhood. Yes. You know, I, this is the thing that gets me about the Eastern world because of all the problems, say, Vladimir Putin has, mm. you go and buy an apartment in Kaliningrad, by the time you're having your kids and you're done with that, that will still be the same damn place. Yes. Yes. Yeah, there are downsides, but there are downsides here. Mm. But I just, wanted to, I just wanted to point out just this funny little graph here that the population of England in 1086 was 1.71 million. Oh, can you imagine it? Deep stay book, isn't it? Was yeah. 1086? Yeah. All right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a thousand years ago. Mm. We can see there about 1800 was the Industrial Revolution. Industrial Revolution, yeah, yeah. explodes the population. Mm. But anyway, I, I'd be interested to hear the, the thoughts of viewers on the sort of population size question. Because I do think that a lot of people are committed to this kind of fantasy, this, this ideal, this utopian ideal of everyone's having loads of kids and all the rest of it. And I, don't, I just don't think that that's actually des as desirable as people think it is. Interesting question, interesting mm. debate. It's not as clear-cut as it first seems. Yeah, yeah. If you want to grow the population, the way to do that is with your own group. Rather yes, than of course, yeah. Divisions. Of course. Anyway, we'll leave that there. Um, and it, actually, no, one last thing, because this was important. Because obviously Nigel Farage is on I'm a Celebrity. Um, and he, uh, yesterday, had a conversation on mainstream TV about immigration. And I think he came across actually extremely well. I'm not keen on him being on I'm a Celebrity. But I think that this is this is this can only be a good thing. But this is what I was saying. Because apparently to you. you're anti-immigrants. Who told you that? Oh, the Who internet. Told, the oh, internet. well, there we are. Then it must be true. It must be true. It must be. <laughs> it must be true. Okay, but then why don't black people like you? 
You'd be amazed, they do. You'd be amazed. If you came with me, if you came with me, if you came with me through South London, you'd be astonished. Oh, wow. What were you doing in South London, Nigel? Well, I'm there every day. You're in South London. Wait, sorry. I'm so sorry to be shy. What are you doing? Sorry. He's from South London. I travel through South London. So everyone hates you for no reason. Well, no, 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 not no, that no, everyone no, hates no, no, you. That no, no. was so bad. Like, but, but like, sorry, you, can, you, you can disagree with somebody, yeah. but to chuck around accusations the way that they've been chucked around is grossly unfair. Anti-immigrant, right? No, no, all I've said is, we cannot go on with, come with the numbers coming to Britain that are coming. Do you know why? You I'm know why? one of the numbers! Oh, right, so, that, so that's it then. So should it be five million a year? Ten million. Question. No, right? you don't seem to understand. Nigel, hang on, hang on, hang on. Those wait, wait, immigrants that are coming you, in. And, and hang, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Had you think, been in power think, a bit later? Like, how long about immigrants? Oh. I did not expect to be caught in a full on debate. Who's that black woman? Uh, an, an influencer called Nella, apparently. You ever heard of her before? I had never come across her before. Oh, okay, right. It's not just me then. Right. Yeah. But I mean, <clears throat> I, I think that in the popular. <laughs> It, it, in among normal people, that exchange is going to have been actually really quite powerful because it shows. I mean, that's quite an accurate representation, I think, of the two sides of this debate. Just very Nigel Farage, very very reasonable. Like, you know, how many should it be? Five million, ten million? No, there has to be there has to be a, a cap. And the way things are right now, right now, it's way too high. And the other side is just screaming in his face, screeching yeah. at him, yeah. racist, <laughs> and it's just like God. But to normal people, I think that that will have really endeared endeared them to, uh, to, to Farage. So, anyway, unless you had any more points, gents, I think we'll call it a day there. Let's go to the video comments. So here is some admitted American breakfast slop. But it is covered with our sausage gravy, Connor, and this is amazing sausage gravy. This is like five eggs over well, uh, half pound of bacon, a whole bunch of hash browns chopped up with uh, diced peppers, and there is American breakfast slop. I'm really trying to like America, and Joshua is doing everything in his power to make me hate it. These video <laughs> comments. This is like the fourth say. one now where he's showing me something that is slop and gone. Doesn't it look great? I'm just like, God bless the USA. Mm. They don't look like slop, but also quite tasty, I must admit. Mm. You like the, uh, the biscuit and gravy sauce? Um, I'm not sure if I've ever actually had it exactly. Oh, no, I have. I have had that sort of whitish sort of sauce before. It is, it is good. Aren't I biscuits do. basically scones in America? No. No? no um, they're more like... I can't Rusks. Yeah. yeah, okay. No, I think go and do, try them yourselves. I think they do them slightly differently in different places in America, to be fair. But mm. um, I don't want to be too rude, but that Joshua chap is too heavy. <laughs> no, no, he's built. Is he? Yeah, he's proper built. Okay. Yeah. So he needs the food because he, he can beat the crap out of all of us. Okay. Oh, I'm sure of that. Oh, no doubt about that. Uh, but no. um, a giant plate of cholesterol is probably not the best. I've still got, because I remember he came over, because I, I, this is a trait of his as well, where he gave me some chewing tobacco, which is a lovely gift. Because, you know, it's exotic and, you know, somewhat American. And he gives me this and we try it. It's the worst thing I've ever done. It's <laughs> just, just make your head spin out. No, no. The, the worst part is you put, you put it in there and you can't talk for the rest of the evening because you've got this pile of fucking tobacco in your mouth. Mm. And then, because you're constantly spitting as well, which makes you feel disgusting and it tastes awful. And I'm just like, why do people do this? <laughs> I've had chewing tobacco before and it was pretty gross. Yeah. Well, for me, it was just like the biggest nicotine hit ever. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> this is the equivalent of trying to show someone British culture and we just give them 
like unseasoned boiled chicken or something. Mm. Yeah. Or it's just like, yes, British cuisine. <laughs> it's like, literally the stereotypes of the things that foreigners don't like if yeah. we, we did that. Just but. a bowl of plain boiled potato. <laughs> There's just that good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not trying to be too mean, Joshua. I I, he'll take it in good stride. No, it looked nice, actually, to be line. honest. I would eat a plate of that. But it, sure. there, there is some good bands to be had about this. So let's go to the next one. Hey, Lotus Eaters. Just learned that I passed my power engineering course. Very happy. And if you ever want to learn a good, useful skill that'll get you a good paying job, learn how to use one of these things. It's a power boiler. Good for you. Good advice. Yeah. yeah sounds like a good practical thing. Yeah. Go next one. Hey, guys. Thank you very much for everything. I updated the website. And I'm at a loss for words. God bless you, everybody who helped, who's helping. And thank you, Lotus Eaters, for having the videos on. If anyone wants to talk, my Twitter handle is the same as my screen name. There we are. Um, well, all the best, mate. Uh, mm. People who don't know, uh, Nick is going through testicular cancer. So yeah. not having the funnest of times. So all the best, mate. Yeah, all the best. Sure. Yeah, next one. Hello, everyone. Hello, Americans. This one's for you. Ahead of the zombie apocalypse debate later, I just wanted to let you know that legal gun ownership is a thing in the UK. We just don't talk about it much because people in towns and cities watch American television, which tells them that there is no legal gun ownership in the UK. I'd be enormously surprised if Dan doesn't have a few shotguns. And Josh, if you don't own a shotgun, you are letting the side down, old boy. Come on. <laughs> Well, I'll pass it on. I don't know if Dan does. I know he's in the Range Rover Club Society. Mm. Yeah, you can own all types of shotguns and rifles. It's very difficult, I think, impossible to get pistols. Yeah, I, mm. unless you're in Northern Ireland. You can't. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to get a pistol. But you can get a, you can get a, a rifle. One of the shotguns. Um, lots of sorts of shotguns. I've looked at it a fair bit because obviously I love them. Um, but one of the problems I've got is I'm renting, so I can't install a safe without the landlord's permission. He's like. Island, yeah. so I can't oh, you do it. have to jump through loads of hoops like the ammo has to be in a special box that's, and you have to Love jump it. through mm. loads of hoops bureaucratic red tape and stuff but you can own a rifle or a shotgun let's go to the next one Harry calm down mate you have successfully commandeered one of the invaders boats and taken its passengers hostage what now now listen here you little dingy drifting twat <laughs> tell me where the boats are setting sail from now or I'll drop kick you off this plank roll for an intimidation check um, yes. That's a three. Not only does your attempt to intimidate your captives fail, but they also begin to break free from the poorly crafted binds and begin walking towards you. Cheese it, boys! Ah! Uh, <laughs> these are going to end up being compiled into a storybook, which I think everyone will love. Some AI-generated D&D uh, sessions. I suppose we'll go to the written comments very quickly. So... Uh, DLV says, cannot recommend History Bro's channel enough. His chats on Stalin and Mao are ridiculously good. And uh, I can concur, because we did one about Mao a while back. Lotus Eaters, what was it called? The Mao's Great Famine. Was that the one we did yeah. together? Mm. Yeah. Which I, I remember, I, I don't know if we ever uploaded them. I took loads of shorts out as well, because I just, I really loved that conversation. How brutal that uh, situation was. Oh yeah, and on History Bro, there's like a, I can't remember, 10, no, 15 part, 18 part series on Mao. With and Diane the, Abbott. And the great... Was co-host. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> to provide balance, you know. No, sincerely, he, you cut in like a load of clips of her being like, "Wow, Dad did Mal did more good than harm." Yeah, she said that on TV. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, so I played that clip a few, a few times. Like, yeah. We're talking about 
maggots eating babies alive yeah. in the daycares. Yeah, I remember famine. listening to the Mouse Great Famine uh, book club. Yeah. Grim. Horrible. Really horrible. Alexander Drake says, Happy Thanksgiving from the United States. So, uh, Happy Thanksgiving, boys. So, uh, Dutch has a plan. Arizona Desert Rat says, Fleeing perse- prosecution is not the same as fleeing, uh, fleeing persecution. Question is, are officials willing to send those fleeing prosecution for war crimes back facing little backlash? My guess would be no, they're not willing to actually send criminals back. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about war criminals as well when we're talking about ISIS. I mean, mm. I, I don't know how much of a rant I would go on if I started, but sincerely, every single one of those persons should have died in the war. And I'm glad that the Americans and their coalition kill. I think it's about 70,000 ISIS fighters, as it's listed. And you rarely get a modern conflict where you get that many dead mm. in such a small period of time. And everyone who was involved in destroying ISIS is an utter chad. Mm. And they deserve nothing less and frankly deserved a lot more extermination of their fighters because they're just scum. Evil. So, just I would say that argument that I can't be deported because I'll face um, uh, death penalty. Possibly, yeah, human rights abuses in my in my home country. Says Adolf Eichmann. I would, uh, <laughs> if I were in charge of things, if I was Lord Protector, I would say I'm putting zero store in that. Mm. That was on you. Whatever you did in that your country of origin, that's you've, yeah, you've got to face justice for that. Then yeah. that's nothing to do with us anymore. Mm. Like you cannot hide behind that one iota. Mm. That, but again, you need a government with a set of balls on them. Yeah, it's all you need. In fact, right? Yeah, all you the need. political will, rather, mm. to put it more diplomatically. So on the emperor, uh, the crusader says. Uh, I'm just going to say the Emperor because I can't read the bloody name. Uh, on Emperor, uh, what's one of the left's rallying cries? Sex work is real work. Upon <laughs> seeing him as a queer icon, it actually tracks perfectly. <laughs> we are. Uh, Matt also says, did uh, he slash her kill himself by any chance? I don't know because he ended up getting killed by the mob. Yeah, he was lynched by mm. a, the Roman mob. Yeah. The urban mob. Or his Praetorians. Hector Rex says, this guy was like the living Monty Python sketch come to life. A throat fuckius has a friend you know. Well, there was one quote I didn't read out because I was strapped for time, but someone hails him as emperor and he says, don't call me emperor because I'm a lady, which is literally like the Little Britain skit. Um, I'm the only whore in this empire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to read some because now we're off YouTube. Uh, Some of the names they were calling him was uh, Gapus Anus. That was a good one. (laughs) Uh, Suckus Caucus. Another friend of his. I do imagine his friends, like if he's called, what was it? Sectus. Sectus. Bassianus. <laughs> the friends he's competing with. I mean, they have to be Suckers Caucus and Gapus Anus and yeah. so forth. You should have a female name, like Incontinentia. <laughs> yeah, Continentia Buttocks. Yes. Uh, what does the immigration data say? Well, s- Sad Wings Raging, just wanted to make sure I got that right, donated 25 buckaroos to say, get rid of them or become European stand. Well, we're going with option two, by the looks of it. Mm-hmm. So, what's that? Nothing is over. It can be reversed, largely. It can. It can. Um, it just takes political will. No, I've, I've really got something on my mind, but I'll have to tell you afterwards. It's too spicy for here, but... <laughs> Looking forward to that, then. Good. So, Base Dave says, so 745k net migration last year, given 160k men stormed the beaches of Normandy, that means we have 4.65 stormings last year alone, and rising every single year. That is one of the more interesting ways to think about this as well, is... I, I, like Bo, you'll know how many uh, men did uh, William the Bastard bring across? So, less than ten thousand. Right? Yeah, I think I think yeah, like twelve, thirteen thousand. Sure, something in that ballpark. Yeah, not all of whom were combat yeah. soldiers, effectively. Right. Yeah. yeah. And well, again, 
How many times do we have to go over? I mean, the just... invaded France with even less. Yeah. We're dealing with oh. 100 armies invading every year. Yeah. When it's hundreds of thousands or the higher hundreds of thousands, it's just insane numbers. Mm. That's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Mad. Literally mad. Yeah. On, on that quote. So mm. to end. Yes. So um, if you like that, go and check out the rest of the great and fine and honorable works of a certain man. And uh, we'll be back in, what, an hour? Half an hour, in fact, to yes. talk about the zombie apocalypse. Bye-bye. Thank you.